Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we welcome special guests and brand new author of the brand new book, from conflict to community. And we are going to talk with Gwen today about all manners of resolving your problems, how we find each other, and how you might, like, you know, say you maybe are having a conflict with a neighbor, relative, global corporation, how you might manage. Resolving that. Can you tell us the story about how you found Microcosm to publish your book? I first heard about Microcosm because of the slingshot planners. Um, yeah, I had a friend actually who works at the place that I work now, the Gandhi Institute for Nonviolence, and she worked there and she was from Portland and she had this amazing planner. I was like, what is this thing? This is so cool. And then this little, um, yeah place in Rochester was selling them. And so I just thought it was really cool. And I checked out your site and I ended up buying like um, a graphic journalism piece on um, clothing. Yeah, it was really good. I ended up buying some, some other things. So you were in my brain and then I saw you at some roller derby events too. I love so. that you found us through Slingshot and Threadbare, which are two yes. totally different, disparate, but awesome and, things. And, and roller go, derby. And it goes back like 20 years or, you know, I mean, Slingshot, I mean, that goes back, That's that predates us, honestly. I mean, Slingshot's been around since like 92 or wow. something. But so, yeah, that's that's awesome. And what made you think of us as like a good publisher for your book. I liked the vibe of the site and I, I really appreciated the just diversity of offerings that the site had. And I thought, man, this place seems like it's probably friendly to someone who's pitching a book for the first time and is not interested in finding an agent or <laughs> doing a bunch of other things, which maybe later I learned was, um, yeah, part of, part of the process for many people when they're trying to write a book. I thought, man, I just, just want to write the book and get it out there. I don't want to do all the other things. I'm just not interested in it. And so I looked at like a few places and I looked at what a pitch sort of involved. And I did, I did the the version on microcosm site first. Um, and it was just so easy. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard back from like Joe pretty quickly and I was like, Oh, great. Yeah. Let's do it. It was exciting. Thank you. That is an awesome story of success. And and that's the whole point is it's like, and I feel like this is going to tie into my question. I feel like if you give people the directions about how to succeed and you tell them, this is what we want from you. And we just need you to like read this and give it like some considered thought. You know, I feel like this is how so much of society should work. 
But then in reality, you know, what we hear all the time is like people assume that they need like a back channel nepotism connection to us. So they will like pitch it from the angle of like, oh, we're both friends with so and so. And you're like, well, we're not publishing our friends lists. We're publishing a book. So tell me about your book. <laughs> you know? And it's like, so that was kind of, we distilled that more and more. And, you know, and I feel like a lot of conflict resolution similarly is about like people kind of not hearing each other or like finding implied rules in a dialogue or even like adding maybe like family of origin <laughs> implied rules into like a dialogue with somebody else. So like what where would you suggest that somebody begin when they're having like a disconnect in a conversation that's leading to a disagreement? So I want to hear the answer to this, but I also want to hear oh. Gwen's background a little bit. Like, oh. like what is your book actually about? Oh. Like it's about conflict transformation. What is that? I I don't know. I have some background questions before we get into the how to. So demanding. Okay, yes. <laughs> How did you become the ultimate conflict resolver? <laughs> I'm laughing in part because I am currently facilitating something um, with the, yeah, uh, a friend of mine where we're like, wow, just every week there's so much conflict in this, in this group. And there are weeks where I'm like, I actually don't know anything about conflict as it turns out. So <laughs> that's part of, part of my laughter. But I think that's, that's kind of true of, of all of us. Like each conflict is like really new, you know, there's, yeah, I think there's tools that work really well. And also sometimes you just have to go with your gut and the, the more you work on it, the, I think the, the better your gut gets, but okay. So I, um, yeah, I grew up in a family that had a lot of conflicts in it. I think like a lot of people, um, and I just became really interested in like listening in on what was happening and trying to think about, well, like, how could this person say this so that the other person hears them better? And I, I felt like I had a lot of ideas. You know, I think when we're younger, we, um, or when I was younger, I was very confident. I had like all the answers for everything. <laughs> I think that's true of even little Gwen. Little Gwen was like, I can fix this fight. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I just became really interested in how people talk with one another. And then when I went to college, um, I studied nonviolence for a little bit and um, had some focus in ethics. And then I went to grad school for conflict resolution. And I didn't, I wasn't really um, interested in the kinds of roles that were opening up after grad school. And I, I so I kind of like shifted gears and I thought, okay, I'm just going to do like restorative justice and um mediation and conflict work on the side and I'll I'll find something else that like pays the bills and so I got into mental health nursing and then eventually those two things just merged I couldn't stay away from conflict whether paid or unpaid so yeah that's the reader's digest version which is becoming a more and more dated phrase I realized but mm. okay so to um work back from Ellie's question to my question so like what would you recommend in a situation where, I don't know, say like, I don't know, maybe my family, let's, or, you know, my friend's family, let's say, and there's maybe some, one person is unwilling to hear the perspective of other people, like, 
And what what would you suggest in a situation where you have like one, if not two unwilling parties? Yeah. So you've got a friend with a conflict. I get it. Yeah. Um, none of us actually have our own conflicts. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I, of course, like want to hear more. And some of the things that come to mind first are like, one of the things that I think works best when it seems like you have someone that's like unwilling to anyone to listen to anyone else is to actually listen to them again and make sure they actually feel really heard. Um, and, you know, to, to give them as much understanding and um, empathy sometimes as, as you can um, until, you know, they're really clear and you're really clear that they've been heard. Um, another thing I would suggest is to talk about the way that you're talking together to kind of have a meta conversation about your conversations when you're not in the fight. So just to set aside some time to say, I want to talk about the way that we talk, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's only that you're having conflict when it's around politics or something. Right. So it's like, okay, well, right now we're talking about dinner, so we're not fighting. So I'm going to say something like, um, yeah, like Gary, uh, can we just have like a quick conversation about the about the way that we talk? Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to listen to you, but I don't get the same sense that you're trying to listen to me. And I just want to know what's going on for you. And then to bring just like as much curiosity as you can to the conversation. Curiosity tends to like dispel defensiveness. Um, but the trick is it can't be a trick. <laughs> you have to genuinely be curious because everybody had almost everyone has like amazing BS detectors. And we know when someone is trying to manipulate us into something. So we actually have to be curious, which sometimes is a stretch, which leads me to one more strategy, which would be go get yourself some really good empathy first and make sure you feel really understood, not necessarily by that person, because we have that need for empathy and understanding, even if we can't get it from the person we really, really want it from. That's all such good advice. And I'm like taking mental notes and I wish I was taking physical notes. Um, We're I need, recording. I need to read your book again. <laughs> but um, our, po our podcast is for publishers and people in the publishing and book world. And there are a lot of like, as you know, we've found doing this for a number of years, there's a lot of sort of recurrent. There's no disagreements. I mean, there's the conflicts you have with any kind of organization where people work together, but then there's like, I feel like the conflicts that I most encounter are conflicts with authors. Mm. And those conflicts are mostly about either royalties and contract issues or about their edits. Mm. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, I guess I was trying to think if you had any conflicts with us, Gwen, and I don't know if we did have any conflicts with you, did we? I made an inappropriate joke to you early on that if we did, you would be more than equipped to solve them. <laughs> and I didn't really get much of a response, so I was like, hmm. Yeah, was, that, was there a conflict there? <laughs> may not be clear that I was joking. <laughs> I'm sure I laughed. I'm also sure I just probably forgot to respond. <laughs> I love a, I love a good a good dorky joke like that yeah but it was um, and yeah and like i you know just like yourself i was once a young arrogant person and or like i'm sorry not to put arrogance on you i was an overly confident underqualified young person <laughs> and i i too came at it where i was like oh i'm gonna like 
teach consensus building to like organizations as like a skill. And I did that and, you know, nobody ever was like, what are your qualifications to do this? Like, you know, I see you don't have a high school education. Like what, how, you know, and I just like read all the books and I summarized it and I had like really clear notes and I had handouts and I was like, and, you know, and then that quickly led similarly to like what, you know, similar approach where it was like, oh, conflict is really what you're teaching in consensus is like you're really working through people to be like all right well you two don't agree but like it seems like you actually kind of do agree so let's and you know and i really i don't really do it that much anymore but um you know it's an interesting thing because after at the end of the day i was kind of like at this point maybe I'm just older, but I feel like people could just like read the same books and like work this out on their own. But so like my question for you is like, so what's unique about like your style? Like what is like, what did you put in your book that you wouldn't find in like nonviolent communication or like one of these other like sort of historical heavy hitters? Yeah, um, my ungenerous response for myself would be my book is more mashed up chaos than those other books because I, I really just didn't want to stick with one model. Like I've had the the privilege of learning a bunch of different communication strategies. And I think like at their heart, a lot of them are saying very similar things. They have you know, they have different strategies, they have some different tools. Um, a lot of them have some of the same core messages. I really, when I like early in like my nonviolence journey, I really disliked nonviolent communication. Like I would not go near you if you were like a big proponent of nonviolent communication. <laughs> and now I think it's a great tool. I think, um, it has a bad rap for a reason sometimes. I think when people get really excited about a particular model, they they can push that model. And that can be like, we know like the best way to turn someone off of something is to try to sell it to them, <laughs> so, you know, or to try to tell people that they're doing everything wrong and that they should do it this way. Um, so I think my, my book offers multiple different approaches to some of the, the same problems and a little bit of a taste of, of multiple tools. Um, and yeah, I do think for some, some people have, I mean, I think just like anyone can become good at drawing and there are some people that pick up a pen and they just like, they, they have that connection with their hand really quickly. And, um, of course they get better and better with practice, but there's some natural innate talent there. I think that's true of conflict. I think some people have an innate ability to listen and understand and integrate and see the overlap where people actually could be connecting. And I think it's a learnable skill. So I think that I, I've practiced for a long time. So I'm able to hear people and try to integrate things. And also like I get in conflicts too, and sometimes I need help. And I think that's maybe one other thing um, that's coming up for me right now for my book is that it really is aimed at people that are not necessarily trying to do mediation or aren't trying to get a certificate or um, get another degree or any degree, but just like want to be a good friend or a good third party to people who have conflicts and want to figure out how to work some of them out on their own. I love that. So back to um, my question about authors and publishers having conflict, did we um, like, did we ask you to make any edits 
that made you uncomfortable? Like, could you see kind of see through the process the conflict points or potential conflict points in in this process? Like, I'm I'm gonna I'm leading up to asking you for advice for publishers about how to and authors about how to deal with conflict over editorial issues. But also feel free to praise us for not making any unreasonable demands of you. <laughs> right or yeah, yeah or berate us if we did yeah uh gosh you know i was so i did not have any conflicts with my edits um i had a i had a couple rounds i think in the the last round of edits that i had was i think someone that y'all contracted with because i think you know microcosm's been very busy um, and I found her edits extremely helpful. I found all of the edits extremely helpful. I just felt like it was it was actually what I was looking for. I wanted to make sure that I was saying things clearly. I also wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, because I'm trying to, it's hard to generalize and not have unintended harm or consequences with your words, right? So like having multiple readers kind of look at it from that frame and think like, well, how will this land? Do you want to be more clear here? Like that was very helpful. Um, this is a little beside the point, but there was one particular um, edit where it turned out that all of the example names I had used started with a J and it was wild. Like, I don't know what I was doing, but they were just all J names. And I have all these little vignettes of conflict, right? And the the <laughs> the person editing at one point, she had put a note, <laughs> like she did like multiple times had been like, maybe a different name, maybe a different name. And at one point she was just like, here's some other names that don't start with J. And I was like, this poor woman probably thinks I know no names that don't start with a J. She's gotten almost all the way through this book. And I was like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> I am not taking this personally. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I have no explanation. So anyway, I found the editing process super helpful. Um, yeah, there were a couple of things where they, I'm, I'm trying to think if like I, when I wasn't sure there, I think there were like two instances where like there was a suggested edit and I was like, I actually I think I like my explanation a little bit better. Um, and I explained why in the comments and that was kind of it. <laughs> I mean, I felt willing to like hear if like it still didn't really work because I know it's, you know, coming from my own head, but yeah. And and that's like a big thing. So in editorial, and this is the trouble, it's kind of like, you know, for a lot of people when they're doing their book, it's kind of more when it's like somebody's 11th book than it's when they're, it's their first book. Cause it's like when it's your first book, people are like 99 times more likely to have like some amount of imposter syndrome. Whereas like by the time it's their 11th book, they're like, Joe, I know what I'm doing. Get out of my way. Why are you editing me at all? And you know, it's harder to see what readers don't know that the author knows about their own work. And so, you know, I think like, I would go as far as saying like, you are qualified to be edited because of the work that you do, because you can see it more objectively where you're not taking offense when somebody is like, hey, need some clarification <laughs> or like this needs to incorporate a broader example or, you know, or stop using J names. I don't know why you're so fixated on us, but 
we don't create all the conflict in the world, but you know, but it's like for oh, and I think that's the difference is like good editorial, and there's definitely bad editorial out there. It is really just making the work stronger. And if the author can see that, there really isn't a disagreement. So it's kind of like if they're willing to take the step back to be like, oh, I see what you're getting at. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. So, like, do you find, are you like a plumber with a leaky pipes at home where, like, you have more problems? Or do you feel like because of this, you're able to just, like, hear more empathically or... Like, how does this transcend other areas of your life? Like, such as, for example, contracts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I try to practice what I write about or what I, I mean, I I've, I had a lot of years of trying to practice all the things that I, that I wrote about. So none of the things that are in the book are things that I don't use. And it... It doesn't mean that I don't like have conflicts or, or things come up. I think for me, the way conflicts will often show up if I have some is like, I will not like the way someone is doing something and I need to sit with it and discern for a while before I bring it to them. Um, yeah, because I, I might default to wanting to empathize and understand with their side and not have my yeah, like not get my own need for like understanding or something that. So that's been, that's been more of like my growth edge with conflict the last couple of years. It wasn't always that way. I used to be a real, like, if I had a conflict, we were talking about it in 30 seconds. Like <laughs> I was not a conflict avoider. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I'm an avoider now, but I, I did like overcorrect, I think to the other side where I was like, oh, I can really see where they're coming from. So now I get it. So now I don't need to have a conflict anymore. But there's still truth in my perspective too. And, and it's important and um, it's patronizing to the other person to not bring your your perspective to them as well. So that's kind of, I guess, the the thing that I've worked on the most in the in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, and I can imagine it's really tricky to have long-term relationships with authors that you've had for a long time and that like they they kind of know the drill and um yeah I could see that I definitely had some imposter syndrome writing writing this and first time authors I'm sure um or even like your second book just feeling like okay well they're the experts and it it helps you stay really open to feedback right so yeah I can imagine um, if someone's just like written a lot and they're used to the kind of edits maybe that they get from you or from other editors at microcosm, they might feel like, okay, I got this. Um, and maybe a little bit less open. And so I don't know, without knowing like a lot of the deets of the relationship, I might suggest something like, um, having some of those conversations synchronously, like on the phone instead of like in the document, you know, um, if you kind of know you've got an author where it's like, I know every time I give them an edit, it's going to be like a low key battle. So I just want to say like, hey, can we set up an hour and just go through some of the edits together? People are far more open in conversation than they are in text. That is so true. All right. Speaking of people who are not open to conflict resolution, one of the major conflicts that we have as a publisher is with organizations larger than us that have 
more power than us. Do you have any advice? And I think you write about this a little bit in the book, but maybe for our podcast listeners, like what advice do you have when you have a conflict that is so uneven and you have no power? For instance, you know, I'm having a conflict right now with our health insurance carrier, or, you know, we might have a conflict with a large distributor or Amazon or something where like, you know, like we have very limited leverage. Yeah. What do you do in cases like that? Mm. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think what I would suggest probably is would might be so specific to, to what the thing is, right? Like maybe the, the easiest, easiest, like first step is trying to get to any of the humans that are inside the big systems. Um, the tricky thing is, right, when you have, and I'm sure you know, as you know, like the really big organizations and corporations, like disempowerment is really like part of your onboarding process. <laughs> right? It's just like we are disempowered to help anyone with their problem. And what I am empowered to do is empathize with you and say, I'm so sorry, but like this isn't going anywhere else because I don't have any power to change your situation. Right. So um yeah i think i think the other things i would suggest are really less about conflict transformation and more about like nonviolent actions you know instead which i think you know y'all engage in in your own way you have lots of ways for people to um get away from some of those big organizations if possible you have lots of tactics and strategies that you offer for other ways of being i mean there's in nonviolence um you know there's this there there's this phrase um the two hands of nonviolence and one is kind of like blocking harm and the other is an open palm like accepting the humanity of other people and and gandhi also talked about like you know there's um non-cooperation with harm but then there's also constructive program and building the world that you want and i think you know microcosm is in the sort of business of building the world that they want to be in um i don't know that's probably not very helpful if you have really specific things i could brainstorm with you but it's hard this is more for our broader i mean i just text my two closest friends about it all day long and then they both work in publishing so they like can relate with the pains of it all and you know it's mostly funny because to me i feel like there's so much and you know because it's like there's no humanity to it so it's like yeah. i find the comedy and all their like misbehavior and that's like really entertaining for me to like look at it from that distance and it helps you know it doesn't help i there's other ways to leverage it but so you know the thing that we didn't really touch on is like why did you want to write this book like what was it that motivated you you know and it's because it's like on one level my gut is like oh well there's like books about this and then i'm like i don't know that there are books about this from this century there definitely aren't go-to books you know and so like that's why your book made a lot of sense to me because I was like, oh, this is like a skill. This is like a skill I value. This is, and there's like, you know, when we in publishing, we think about this in terms of like shelf busters, where like you want to write a book like yours that's like good executive summary of a bunch of different like 
opposing viewpoints, but that like makes all the other books irrelevant because you could just read this book. And I feel like you did that really well, but like, I would like to hear about what you, what motivated you to write this book. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there were a few things I had finished reading conflict is not abuse by Sarah Shulman. And I think microcosm sells that to distributes it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Shulman was making a, a different point, maybe specifically around some of the Israeli Palestinian conflict, but she spent a long time talking about bad friend groups. And I was thinking about it a lot because I was watching people in conflicts in my life and what happened when they talked to different friends and certain friends and who they went to for different advice. And when I was doing conflict workshops with people, I would ask people to like reflect on who do you talk with when you want someone to jump on your bandwagon? And then who do you talk with when you want to make the problem better? You know, who do you talk with when you just want to calm down, right? These are all different friends, usually. Um, we might go to different people for different things. And I was thinking about how, you know, social media has kind of spiraled us into thinking that bandwagoning is good friendship or good accompaniment in conflict. And I really think there's there's other ways. There's ways that we can be present for each other and bring out our best selves, right? So... I really wasn't seeing that angle in, in conflict books. What I was often seeing was like, you know, nonviolent communication, for instance, offers this amazing framework that's not just communication, it's not just conflict, it's like a way of understanding human behavior. But you, it's really, it's hard to practice if you talk the way that it's sort of set up, it won't always land well. Um, it's kind of like if you if you talk in the model of like OFNR, like observations, feelings, needs, requests, it can sound like you've got you're riding a bike with like training wheels or something. It's not how someone would like advise you to to speak. Right. But that's what people come away with it with. And yeah. And then I also, you know, I was doing a lot of things in my workplace where like someone would have a conflict. I was just having so many side conversations with people where they had a conflict and they were like, I'm going to write this really terrible email. Will you read it and tell me what to write? I mean, I was ghostwriting so many emails, right? Like just ghostwriting emails, ghost having conversations for people. And um, I felt like, where is the resource that just tells you how to deal with like low level conflicts without calling HR? That was the first thing, you know? And then watching neighbors have conflict and just like not talking about it, but just like calling the cops. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, we just, we're like, we have like some skills for like very small conflict. And then we go to authority for everything else. And there's just like this whole range of things in between. And um, yeah, I mean, I think lots of books have lots of ideas for how to do conflict in those spaces, but I really wanted to speak to how we can be, better accompany better accompaniment to other people's conflict and show up a little bit differently in our own i love that and i love that your book does that and you also teach some really hard skills or at least hard for me like being able to like empathize with where somebody's coming from even when you disagree with what they're saying yeah that's really important i mean i feel like that's like life 
I yeah, well I have trouble. Oh, with oh got it. Just... <laughs> it's fine though too. It's like natural, normal. So like if you did needed the train, you would not need you would already be doing it. It's a very good point. I'll be yeah. practicing that my entire rest of my life. Like, there isn't a thing that tells you how to have a disagreement where one person doesn't have to bulldoze the other or you know, and I found this a lot where I'm working with an organization and then like people will try to back channel to me and then it's very apparent that what they're actually trying to do is they have a secret personal agenda and they think that I can impose their agenda on everyone rather than like this taking everybody's needs into account. And so, you know, and I, and that it's just completely fascinating because I feel like that's like another way it's like attempting to use the mediator as the authority figure. And I feel like that's the other thing that's so brilliant about your book is it's just like, you're being like, no, like resolve your own problem. Like this is how you do it. You don't need somebody that can come in with greater authority than you. And so like, were there formative experiences in your life that led you to that? Or like, do you come from like an anarchist organizing background or like, what is it that sort of put you on that pulse? Anarchist adjacent for part of my life, like not in a lot of the groups and just like near them and friends with people who are in them, but not really ever committing enough to, to be in, be in many groups. It's maybe a little ungenerous towards myself, but yeah, I I think I had a lot of um a lot of interest in anarchist organizing starting from from college on and um I was yeah, I was super interested to hear you did like consensus building training cuz yeah, some of the some of the work I do in facilitation is around like consensus building and collaborative decision making and I do think people have collaborative skills um and and muscles that they can train it just like it takes practice and it seems really inefficient when you haven't been doing it but using authority is so inefficient you know because once you use power over and you force people into things all they do is sabotage the thing that they don't want to do our sense of autonomy is so strong it's so strong so if you don't if you make decisions or or try to do things in a way that doesn't account for autonomy and doesn't um actually hold everyone's needs like people will just break it you know they'll do it slowly they'll back channel they're they'll leave they'll sabotage the project but stuff doesn't really get done that well i think with with force i thought of my question when you said power over that reminded me so one thing that i think about all the time as a publisher is that much as we try to bring a pretty flat structure to everything we do like management publishing like we're not a collective but we do you know try to make sure everybody has equal voice and equal share um and is you know respected as a fellow human but no matter how hard we try people still come to us with their expectations about the power dynamic and the authority and so you know we have authors coming to us and they see us as this kind of all-powerful authority figure gatekeeping yeah yeah and like they respond to that kind of in the way that they respond to authority figures in their life whether by like fighting us in a pitched battle every minute of every day or by like kind of doing the fawn thing and kind of 
trying to like butter us up or by or like, like avoiding us or, or like acquiescing before there's really been a conversation yeah yeah and like how would you advise people who are in positions like ours where we're sort of reluctant authority figures like how do we approach that kind of conflict that is not like of our choosing yeah like like when somebody else is bringing that dynamic and kind of putting it on us i guess and it is there structurally a little bit but you know yeah yeah it's just so hard for us to trust our own empowerment and i think i don't know maybe i i have like a few a few um answers one of them is not trusting people's yeses and this is something i got from yeah one of my mentors that um i might have put it in the book i can't remember but she she had told me once um if you if people don't have the power to say no to you then you don't know what their yes means and i think about that as a leader of an organization myself where we try to have a flat structure and the the nonprofit world makes it right now so that we we don't have a way to actually be flat right so we're we're trying to um approximate that in some ways and and make as many of the decisions as possible collaborative while also knowing that like i have to sign the checks for certain things and anyway so i try to keep in mind that no matter how um yeah friendly and relational i feel like i'm i'm being that there is still power there and just to name it with people i find actually brings a lot of relief so it also i can just be really transparent with people about where where my power is and isn't and i try to like name where i see um their power you know um I, yeah, I do like feedback workshopping with a colleague of mine frequently, and I'm, I'm technically, you know, her boss and we talk about this dynamic and how we give feedback with one another and, um, just naming, like, we can't pretend that it isn't the case that even though we're not set up to do this, I could, if I wanted to fire her, right? Like that is true and she does not have that same authority over me and it doesn't help anyone to pretend that it's not there um i we do try to set up structures so that it is pretty far from that but right now that's that's still how it is so i think a lot of transparency um builds trust even if it feels already transparent to you just naming it like this is the power that we have here and i understand it doesn't feel like you know um you have you have power in the same way and and naming like yeah this is i i am you could make a guess like i am guessing that you're feeling disempowered around this um and i want to just like let you know from my perspective like you could totally do xyz things like that's within your power and yeah and just invite people into feedback conversations if you can and really really ask for the feedback that they don't want to share with you just ask for it over and over and over again until they trust that you actually want to hear it. Yeah, I, I run into that one all the time where I'll be like, you know, so like my assistant often is the one that is editing me and like I'm on a tier above her. And so I'll be like, how do you feel like this project went? And in response, she'll be like, how do you feel like it went? <laughs> you know, which I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I mean, I don't have an opinion, but I will share my thoughts. 
you know but i'm like me asking does not mean something is the matter but you know and then you know like i joke that like as a you know as an organization like we have to deal with everybody's shittiest previous employers and how they were treated there and then it takes honestly two years before they're like oh you're not going to pull all those dirty tricks like when when you're asking me how i'm feeling it's because you want to know how i'm feeling but that and you know and i feel like it's like in the toxic culture that can be really hard to get people out of that mindset so i appreciate yeah like naming like yeah. the tenor and like guessing and asking you know and then yeah like you can draw them out as you establish trust yeah but yeah that's a tough one and i mean i think gwen is right though like that's something that i don't think about enough is that the stakes genuinely are higher for the other person oh, yeah. than for us like if we're managing someone or even with an author like if they come around and are forthcoming with us it's helpful but if they take a risk and it doesn't pan out that could really harm them yeah much more so like yeah and i think about this a lot as a, an author too like you know there are definitely authors that come to us and like once we've like come to an agreement and like we're gonna do the book and then when they reveal themselves to be incredibly like unwilling to collaborate with us you know like we there you know there, there's literally a thousand potential pitches versus what we actually publish. So there's no reason to work with somebody if they're not going to like result in a book that is like going to be appreciated by readers. And so, but they don't understand that. So like they think they're in, you know, whereas like we're have to backpedal it a lot to be like, if we can't get people to read your book, there's no reason to make it exist, you know? So it's like kind of on the supply and demand side where it's like, we're friendly, but we're not friends. Like we're working on this project together. We're not like married to you, you know? It's like a different sort of relationship dynamic. Whereas like for our staff, like they're our people. So like we take care of them. Like we're on the same team. We're like, working towards the same goals and it's like a very different kind of relationship and that yeah and i think about you know and i think about like power in that those ways like both mm -hmm. like who we are beholden to and like who you know and, and it is true like at least in our industry probably in general that like one percent of the people create 99 percent of the problems and you know and so it's like that's sort of like the proportions you're up against all the time or you know like one percent of the people are 99 percent of my inbox you know as well you know but it, it is <laughs> but it is an interesting thing where you know like yeah you're kind of i mean and i think about it a lot that i'm just like every way that this person was mistreated throughout their life is like what is making them think this is the best tactic to employ against me right now and that's or you know with me or you know whatever you know and sometimes yeah. it's really healthy but you know so i i mean i try to be like empathic in that way you know hmm. yeah, i think and i think your book would be really good especially if like somebody hasn't thought about power dynamics or thought about like resolving conflict <laughs> you know because i think like there's a lot of people like that i know that like 
their whole life is about sidestepping content. And so like, if you haven't thought about either of these things, like from conflict community is like such an awesome resource for, you know, bringing that like not, you know, and in some degrees healing, but then in another case, like, and you know, like my family is not in my life whatsoever and hasn't been for a long time, but like, I could think about like how difficult and painful that would be for people that like have to deal with people like that, where there is like that much history and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, and, you know, and it's like, even for my closest friends, like that's the bulk of what they want to talk about. It's like, Oh, my family did this shitty thing. <laughs> and you're like, I guess you're not cutting them off. So, <laughs> what so it's kind of like, yeah, I think about it too. Where I'm like, your family gets yeah. to kind of get away with shit that like you wouldn't let your date do, you know? Yeah. 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 And, um, I, I appreciate the, the compliment on the book. And I was also thinking about when you were, you were sharing this vignette around you and, um, was it your assistant you said? Yeah. 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 Were you like asked? So I was thinking about, it's kind of like related to the question that you asked before, which is setting up a feedback system with one another so that the expectation is that you're both sharing things that are not working for you. So it's like, you know, I, right now I have set up with, um, yeah, with the folks that I work with that we, every like couple of months do this like feedback process where we're both sharing like what is working and what's not working and then make requests. And like we, the expectation is that we are naming like something in like three different categories that we don't like or is like not working for us about um, the way that the other is, is being, you know? Um, so like, I got to hear that, um, you know, we have at the Gandhi Institute, like this really um, big garden where there's like community gardening. And I do a lot of work, but gardening is not one of them. I just, I, I have like, I don't know, just like a gap in knowledge and understanding about, about gardening. And I joke about it sometimes where I'm like, okay, well, this is what I understand the gardening update to be. And, you know, you all know I can't grow anything. So, and I'll like joke about it. And then one of the the pieces of feedback that I got from staff is like, it actually makes me worried that you don't care about the garden when you make those jokes. And that was such good information to have, you know? And they were like, I don't think you don't care. It's just that, um, yeah, I just feel like when a leader doesn't know about part of what's happening, it makes me worry that that thing will, will not keep happening because you don't have it like in your scope, right? And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. I would be worried about that too. And it made me like approach the garden differently. Now I'm like having, you know, meetings with our garden manager, like every, every month so that I like know what's happening and I'm learning how to garden differently. And, you know, so it's like, we don't get this information unless we set up systems to ask because the barrier to tell each other when something isn't working is way too high, whether we have more power or not. We've all been like, almost all of us have been indoctrinated to be conflict avoidant because it mostly ends in punishment. I bet you find that people tell you a lot more than they might tell other people. I don't know. <laughs> Although my partner said that to me the other day, I left like a workshop and I was like, oh man, this person shared this story with me and it was so powerful. 
And uh, he was like, I think people just tell you a lot of things. I was like, maybe, but I don't have a, I don't have any basis of comparison. Yeah, this one is like more tear jerky than most of our episodes, which I don't oh. know if it's good or bad, but that's, yeah, it's a, it's a new tenor for sure. So thanks so much. Thank you both so much. It was such a pleasure to put faces with the names. I just feel like, yeah, I was really looking forward to chatting with you both. I was like, oh my gosh, I emailed with Joe like three years ago. Ellie and I have exchanged emails back and forth. It's just, yeah, it's been such a joy to work with you. Thank you so much for making um, this book like happen. And yeah, it's nice to be able to thank you live. Thank you. Well, thank you for making such a wonderful book and being such a pleasure to work with. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing on Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.